Well, have you missed us? This is FUVFC, WFUV Sports' one and only soccer podcast. It has been a while, a long enough amount of time that our co-hosts today, along with me today, do not remember FUVFC at all. So it's been a while, but we're very happy to have it back and, and happy to have enough um, soccer fans here in the FUV Sports community to, to keep it going. Hi, everybody. My name is Dylan Balsamo along with my friends Keenan Troy and Emma Zupko. It's, it's going to be a fun show today because there's so much to talk about. Um, but first, let me just ask you guys, how, how are you? I'm good, Dylan. Thanks for checking in. Glad that this is back up and running. Um, excited to talk soccer. Very busy summer we've got and then transitioning straight into the fall. Beautiful thing about soccer, there's, there is no off season. So every week we'll have new stories, new everything to talk about, and I couldn't be more excited. Emma, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm also really excited to start talking some soccer again. I have been watching a lot of basketball and football, so it's great to be getting back into my roots and being able to talk to other people about it as well. That's definitely something that uh, life post-COVID is, is, is going to be wonderful regarding is uh, not only having things to talk about, but actually talking to people about it, I think is wonderful. But, uh, but anyways, let's get right into it. Obviously, the big uh, story of right now is the European Championships, the 2020 European Championships, which st I still find very funny that they're still calling it that, uh, going on here in the summer of 2021 across Europe right now. And obviously, on a, on, on a weird note, the, the top story so far through the tournament has been, has been Christian Eriksen of, of Denmark uh, during their first uh, match with Finland. Uh, falling and just collapsing near the end of the first half of that game. And, and, you know, from what we've gathered after the situation, they ended up in, uh, he ended up in cardiac arrest, uh, but was able to be revived right there on the field, taken right to the hospital. He is alive and he's okay. Uh, he has since talked multiple times to his teammates who have gone on in the tournament, had to actually end up finishing that game later on in the day after a couple hours of, of uh, emotional recovery time for everybody. But nevertheless, a, a really strange situation. And, and Keenan, I'll, I'll start with you on this because I want to get both of your opinions. But, you, you know, you mentioned before we started recording this episode that, like, it, it was a very weird situation that UEFA put both team members in and all the fans of the stadium there. Yeah, so I, I think watching it unfold, because I was watching it live, as many people were, you see Christian Erickson go down and at first you think maybe it's just a muscle injury. And then I remember watching it on the ESPN footage. They cut to a close-up of his face and you can just see his eyes are like glazed over. He doesn't look present. So at that point, I think everyone in the soccer community realizes this is something much bigger than somebody, you know, faking an injury just to get to the half, which maybe some people thought was happening. And this is like a life-threatening situation. And so when this was all happening first, you have to applaud the efforts by Captain Simon Kier from Denmark immediately rushing over, getting his teammates to build a barrier between Ericsson and the cameras on that far side so no one could see the medical treatment he was receiving and then consoling his wife. And then whatever he did in the locker room afterwards, making sure that his teammates were mentally okay. But while this was all happening, the question was kind of looming, you know, Euro 2020 now being played in 21, it had been pushed off for so long, would they continue the match? And personally for me, I was thinking, okay, it's being hosted at remote sites so you don't need the pitch the next day. And so you can just resume this game in Copenhagen tomorrow, pick up the second half because you could just say, okay, the last bit of stoppage time wasn't going to be played anyway. 
But UEFA went ahead and said, we're going to finish this match today as it was scheduled. And just from an emotional perspective, from a fan perspective, that decision didn't really seem to make any sense to me. I don't know if you agree with me or disagree with me, Dylan, but understanding the emotional turmoil that has from a player that's within your team, even as small as like rec league, but now on a national stage and somebody as crucial as Christian Erickson, who's played in world cups for the country has made over a hundred caps for the nation, a true leader within the team. You see them say, okay, we know that he's safe now. Let's continue doing our jobs. I think the more appropriate response would have been give the day to the players, to the fans, and to all of the Danish football organization to kind of slow things down, make sure that everything's in check, and then continue as an organization going forward the next day. Yeah, no, I I agree with what you said, Keenan. I saw that like the goalkeeper even said that they were put in a position that he didn't think they should have been put in, um, and and I agree. And it's just the whole situation is really scary. And it, but it was really really cool to see. They, all the support um, that they received after the incident. And I saw multiple athletes post like on Twitter from the women's national team um, and throughout other sports, all this um, support for, for what took place. And um, it kind of, even though it was extremely unfortunate, it was great to see how everyone throughout the world, uh, not even in soccer, just uh, was showing their support and um, was wishing him the best. Absolutely. I agree with you, Emma. That was, that was definitely a very heartwarming part of this. And it's, it's, it's part of the thing that we love about soccer and we love about sports in general is, is, is the, the uniting and, and healing aspect of it, which we don't always get to see in other aspects of, of life, especially over the last, let's say, two years. The, the, the very reasons why we're playing this tournament in 2021. But, you know, there's, there's been a lot of speculation over multiple aspects of this, whether it be you know, how it was handled, what, what caused Erickson to collapse in the first place, all these different things that, that only occur um, when an athlete collapse, when, whenever an athlete collapses in any sport, there is so much speculation over what exactly happened that it ends up, um, it, it ends up trumping what actually happened itself. Um, but, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to bite into that bullet, but I will say a couple things. First off, uh, I agree with you, Keenan, that um, the way you ha- the way you UEFA handled this was um, um, I'll see you're strange and raise you silly. Uh, it was it was a little ridiculous the way they handled things. Um, for one thing, to expect Denmark to recuperate themselves physically as a team after after losing Ericsson have to play later that day it it was just strange and you know as you mentioned the fact that this whole tournament's being taking place at remote sites you know you could just you could just push things back a day and not worry about anything um there is that aspect and there is also the the emotional aspect of things that's a lot of emotional trauma to watch somebody collapse um and that's a lot for both teams for fans for and the stands fans watching for for people everywhere who have invested themselves in this tournament, that that's a lot to expect them. I also don't think it's fair to Finland. I, I, I felt kind of bad for Finland because, you know, when you look at it, that's their first, that's their first win in a major European tournament. And it's this, it's this huge thing. That's going to be a monumental and memorable win in their, in their history as, as a team and as a nation. Um, and, and that win is also going to be, balanced by the fact that this very odd thing happened 
that everybody watching him is very traumatic. So I agree with you. It was very odd the way UEFA, uh, UEFA handled this, but it also brings up an interesting question um, that I, I would like both of your opinions on, if you don't mind, because it, it, it's an interesting thing and it, it's, it was bound to happen post COVID. I'm not saying this is what exactly happened, but there's something that happened. It's happening in baseball specifically this year. If, if you'll mind me crossing sports for a second is the fact that, you know, Major League Baseball played a 60-game season last year as opposed to 162-game normal season. So it's it, almost nothing. And then they come into 2021, they're going to play a whole 162-game season like they usually do, and now they're, they're seeing the effects of that injury-wise. Every team in Major League Baseball has two or three giant injuries that have defined their season almost to this point. So um, let me ask you guys, as, as soccer fans – and it's, it seems like both of you, uh, from what I've gathered, I don't know much about either of you, but it does seem like both of you were soccer players in your day or perhaps continue to be as well. So l- let me ask you guys, in your opinion, from a health standard, how does not just UEFA, not just any specific team, but soccer in general go about um, you know, getting back into the mold of things while also taking care of players' health? Well, well I think, Soccer was unique in the sense COVID kind of happened right in, with the exception of the Euro 2020 schedule, happened right in a lull of play. And you're finishing up a Premier League season, a Bundesliga season, and all these European seasons. But you were still going to have that summer where, though you'd have international tournaments, it wasn't the tournaments or the, uh, wasn't the tournaments or the leagues where, you know, a lot of players expect to play, especially guys who aren't going to make their national team or their national teams aren't competing. Um, so I think that throughout the 2021 season, um, though there's some nicks and some injuries, a lot of the injuries you saw happen in soccer weren't really due to poor conditioning or being thrown in too quickly. Um, you see, saw probably the biggest injury in soccer was that Van Dyke ACL, but that was because of a soccer play involving Jordan Pickford, nothing to do with him, you know, being out of shape or anything like that. So I don't think the instance of Erickson was because they were rushed. I think soccer is so unique in the sense that you can miss, you know, three to four weeks, even a month or two months at a training facility, but you're still able to be conditioned on your own because so much of the game is depicted and based around your physical ability to get up the pitch, to improve your touch, et cetera. A lot of stuff you can do by yourself or even in a social distancing setting, you can still work on your touch with one another versus I think in baseball, we're seeing a lot of these injuries happen for just because that sport is so dependent on being in an environment where baseball is encouraged. Like a lot of these injuries to even like recently DeGrom's shoulder, you saw Glasgow down with the UCL um, probably going to need Tommy John off of that. That's, you could say that's because they hadn't been throwing over the long time in COVID and had that extended break um, to be working out differently than they had been. But I think for soccer, mainly a lot of these guys were able to maintain their fitness because the sport is so isolated in the sense that much of the game is not dependent on you being with someone else. I think that soccer is very lucky. um, And a lot of these teams are very wealthy and have the ability to make sure their players are able to stay healthy. Um, and the matches are pretty well spread out. And like, I know for the NBA, they're playing like 
I mean, right now and in general, they play almost every single day and the the players seem to be injured like 24-7. Um, so I think that uh, soccer is very lucky that players know how to take care of themselves and the teams uh, have the ability and, and the money to make sure that the players stay healthy and they know these are professionals. They know how to take care of themselves. So it's good to see not many big injuries occurring. Certainly, certainly. I would agree with the two of you. And I, I also just want to make clear for anyone listening, I, I'm definitely not concluding that that was the reason for what happened to Christian Erickson. It was just, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's somewhere where the mind might go in a world post-COVID. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's, been a, there's been a lot of speculation over what happened to him. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to feed into any, any, any non-truth that, that one might be hearing at, the, at this point in time. But, you know, you guys both make very uh, good points of, of soccer's, as, as you both mentioned, isolation as a sport almost. And just the unique position it was put in where, you know, we, we lost the end of most domestic league seasons. Um, and, you know, it was eventually, things were eventually able to return and, and for things to happen. But, you know, soccer was in, in not an off-season point, but a, a point where everyone was not playing uh, two, three games a week, like a certain point in the season where one might see. So that is definitely something. And, and I think you're both absolutely right. Of Soccer is not going to see any long-term injury issues because of a post-COVID world. But it is something that is going to have to be thought about because, you know, obviously the world of health has changed a lot over the last year. And the way we're, just, the way we're going to go about life after COVID is, is just incredibly different than it was going to be before. So it's, it's definitely something to think about. But, you know, l- l- let's move on. Let's keep talking about the Euros and let's talk about something uh, – significantly lighter and will be more fun to discuss you know let's talk about Cristiano Ronaldo who um just during this tournament uh surpassed the it was he was tied then he surpassed it correct uh but yes but as we were saying Cristiano Ronaldo has uh succeeded any any statistical goals (laughs) no pun intended to, uh, to get the highest point on the ranking list of goal scorers in the European tournament throughout the 60-year history of the European tournament. He is, without a doubt, as you mentioned specifically, Keenan, before we started the show, uh, on track to be the greatest statistical offensive player that Europe specifically has ever seen. So l- let me ask you guys. I, first off, I'm, I'm sure you guys both saw the... Um, the, the, the golden goal, as we'll call it, in this particular situation, golding isn't putting him up up top, giving him the gold in that sense. So where does, you know, obviously we talk about Ronaldo among the greats constantly. But, you know, since we're talking about him, let's just talk about him again. We haven't had FUVFC in a little while, so we haven't been able to have this conversation. You know, you, you look at Ronaldo, you, you look at what he's been able to do. Where, where does he rank among the top of the greats what do you think well i think you a couple years ago if you remember pele came out and said kind of critiquing messi saying all messi can do is score on the ground he can't attack in the air like i used to when somebody referenced uh you know asked pele like hey is he better than you and pele was kind of quick to shut it down saying like he couldn't score in multitude of ways then i know pele is kind of in his later years and maybe doesn't have time to engage with 
the social media tyrant that is Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Recently, I mean, today he got 300 million followers on Instagram. So he's just bigger than life at this point. But I think when you look at Ronaldo, you look at a complete goal scorer. I don't think it's ever been a secret to his prowess around goal. I mean, you can look back to when he was signed by Ferguson at United. Obviously, from a young age, demonstrated his ability to score and score when he needed to, but also score in a multitude of ways. He can beat you off the free kick. He can beat you off the wing. He can play central. And then he can beat you in the air. Like, we all see how high he leaps. Like, even somebody as tall as Van Dyke or, you know, Matip or anybody that you put in the back, you're probably going to lose an aerial ball to Ronaldo 99 times out of 100 if he reads it correctly, which oftentimes he does. So I think when you discuss, you know, where does he rank all time, I think the game evolves so much from generation to generation that it's, I always say it's kind of like comparing LeBron and MJ because I started to cross sports again, guys. But I mean, (laughs) I think when you're comparing, you know, generation to generation, that's probably the biggest disparity because would Ronaldo had succeeded when Pele played? Of course, because what the game, when Pele played, it wasn't so intricate. It wasn't so one player dominated. So you drop Ronaldo in that setting and obviously he's going to take over. But I think right now, you need to appreciate the greatness we see just because I think that you see guys like Lewandowski who can score all the time, Suarez, who's a poacher, but I don't think you see someone every day, let alone in a generation that can do it all. He can play out wide and be a threat. He can play in the middle and be a threat. He can get involved on set pieces, whether he's striking, whether he's in the air as a threat. So I think when you're considering that in terms of, is he the best, where does he rank? I think outside of three, you can put Messi up there. You can put Maradona up there. You can put Pele up there. I think Lewandowski still has a lot to go, but if he keeps going into his later years like Ronaldo has, then I think maybe you can throw him in the mix. But as we're watching right now, I mean, he's one of those guys like Brady, like LeBron, just an ageless wonder because every year he seems to reinvent how he's going to score and how he's going to be dangerous. Yeah. I, I consider him one of the best players of all time and Definitely, definitely one of the most well-known athletes in the world. Um, And I like, I always like the Ronaldo-Messi debate. I think it's kind of hard to compare them because they're they're different players, Um, but they're both the best of our our generation. Um, And both play, you know, striker and midfielder, but um, Messi is more kind of like ball dominant, I would say, and Ronaldo, but Ronaldo's ability to play off the ball as a pure striker. And like you said, Keenan, in the air, he's just amazing to watch. Um, and I think it's interesting. He He's kind of getting older, though. And you can see he kind of has to change. I don't, he's not, I feel like he's not as involved as he was um, as he was younger. And he's kind of forced to change the way he plays. Um, and instead of kind of just running running at the goal with the ball, he realizes he doesn't have the strength to do that anymore. And now I feel like he um, he passes it more. Um, and if I ask any of my friends, like, who don't even watch soccer, you know, to name one, they, they always say Ronaldo Messi. And his legacy is going to be uh, incredible. And he's just one of the best in the world. Certainly, certainly. I, I, I agree with all the sentiments, uh... That, that you two have shared uh, throughout this. And, and, you know, certainly in terms of, of who pushed the legacy of soccer forward in terms of names, I think, I think Ronaldo is, is the guy. 
um, you know, whether you look at Instagram followers or just like the, the, the levity of his name, as you both have mentioned, there, there's, there's something to be said about that, but you know, you, you bring up the, the differences between him and Messi. It's like, it really is to use an old term comparing apples and oranges. It's just two different ways of, of playing the game. And, and by nature, the two of them being as good as they are, they're going to get compared all the time. Uh, you know, Messi, Messi is dominant on the ground. Uh, Ronaldo just has a little more of a uh, little more dynamic to his game. And that happens to be aerodynamic. Check out that pun. But um, I think really what, what, what things come down to is you, you look at someone like Pele and his criticism of, 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 of players that are not him. That, that happens in, in every sport. You, you know, Michael Jordan a couple of years ago said Steph Curry's not a Hall of Famer. And I went, what are you talking about? You got your mind? It's just, it, it, it's something that's bound to happen. But, you know, you, you look at Ronaldo and, and his ability to accomplish things. And, and you know, people might say he, he has been able to play on some teams where he's had some, uh, some real power alongside him. Um, but his, his dominance... Um, supersedes any type of, of of argument that that he was that he's been helped by anybody. It's it, it it's it's a it I to me it's a ridiculous argument. Uh, but you know of course you know it almost goes without saying. But we thought we'd have the conversation that uh, Ronaldo was there among the greats and and him surpassing this record is is just another cementation of that, if you will. But let let's shift gears a little bit because. The U.S. women's national team has been playing quite a bit lately, and they continue to be as dominant as they have been for the last 10 years, quite frankly. You look at uh, specifically how they've played the last couple of days on June the 10th. Uh, they shut out Portugal 1-0, it was a 4-0 win over Jamaica on Sunday the 13th, and then a 2-0 win over Nigeria on uh, the 16th. So that, wind, uh, that winds down their playing in June. They will start July the 1st and the 5th with two matches against Mexico. But guys, let me ask you, because it's something that I find so interesting about the, the, this women's team is, you know, we, we see teams in soccer that are, are good for extended periods of time, but they will falter at times and then they'll come back to the top. The U.S. women's team, not only have they been the best for a long time, but they also don't look like they're going anywhere. Like what is in, what is in the water? What is this about? Well, I think first you can look at a funding perspective. Um, I know that there's, you know, disputes in the United States and, you know, about the compensation of the female athletes, the funding they receive, the women's national team that is contrary to the men's, but fundamentally they receive a lot more funding than a lot of other women's national teams do across the country. I think second on that list is Japan, um, who's a perennial threat to the United States. But outside of that, you know, there's kind of that disparity. Take nothing away from the women's national team at skill level, though. I think they're super sound. I would even rival them under the current German system. Playing a little recently, going into the Olympics where they were eliminated uh, by that same Sweden that they drew to this past uh, April, I think the women's implement their legacy of the grand and arguably the greatest women's national program in the history of the world. But I think they'd be hungry to go after that gold medal after they weren't able to get it back in Rio in 2016. And I think, as the world knows now, they should be looking out. Um, even great teams like Nigeria, Japan, even France, you know, coming to the United States and losing to our the women's national team. I think they know that their work is cut out ahead of them. So there's probably a big target on their back going into Tokyo. But 
I don't see any reason for this team not to perform the way they've been performing of late. That system that they use is just too good. And the talent that they have is seemingly superior to every other nation. So hopefully two good matches against Mexico in July and then off to the Olympics where they should be chasing gold. Yeah, I have been watching the the summer series pretty, pretty closely um, in their matches against Portugal, Jamaica, and Nigeria, which were all pretty recent. Um, for the Portugal one, I I thought it was a little concerning how uh, they couldn't they couldn't really finish. They looked great. They had dominant possession throughout the entire game. Um, I think it was like seventy percent possession. Um, they they are missing uh, Julie Ertz, who's like very integral to their their center mid. Um, and Tobin Heath is out, both on injuries. But uh, that was only a one a one zero lead, and I I kind of was expecting a a greater a greater win. Um, they they were dominant, but it's like they, they couldn't finish most of the game. Um, and which is fine. I, uh, press, press and Lloyd had great dynamics throughout their, that entire game. Um, and perhaps Portugal had watched their film from their previous games against Japan and Sweden. Um, but it, it was a good win, just a little concerning. Uh, I thought the, the, the score line at the end and then the Jamaica game, that was a solid 4-0. Uh, that was a nice win. Uh, they had dominant possession. They had a good tempo, uh, signature high, high press. Um, and I think Lloyd scored, Carly Lloyd scored in like the first 24 seconds, which is always great, great fun to see. Um, and then their most recent game against Nigeria on, on the 16th. I, Nigeria actually came out stronger than, than I thought they were going to be. They were pretty physical and didn't seem that scared of the United States. I think it was a good test for them, um, for the defensive organization uh, and, and the timing. Uh, so that was, that was fun to see. That, that was a win, though. That was a 2-0, uh, which, is, which is good. But I, I'm actually a little concerned for the Olympics. I feel like they... I think Ertz needs to get better or pretty, pretty fast. I think she's really important to the whole midfield. And I hope that they, they come out strong, come out strong for the Olympics. But I think they're against stronger teams. They, they really might struggle. I haven't seen them. I think France was like maybe their hardest, hardest matchup. Um, that's kind of recent. Um, but it'll be really interesting, and they they know they know they need to step it up though, and um, it'll just be great to watch. Certainly, they are if without a doubt, no matter what is going on, always such an entertaining spectacle. Uh, to me, the most entertaining spectacle in American sports is the U.S. women's national team. But again, that's just my opinion. And with that, we have just about run out of time here on this first episode in our return of FUBFC. Uh, I, for one, am very excited that we're back, uh, and I'm, I'm glad you two are, are, are going to be a part of this. So uh, for those of you listening, uh, we will see you, or you will hear us, I guess, next week uh, with another episode of FUVFC for Keenan Troy and Emma Zupko. My name is Dylan Balsamo. Hope you join us next week. Have a good one. Take care. Bye.